All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast. This is your host, Tommy Tahoe Alebo. It's episode 241. Um, happy Wednesday to you. We're kicking off July. Uh, we're getting this thing going, and it's a good day for me because seven is my lucky number. So today's July 7th. Uh, when you're probably hearing this in your earbuds while you're walking the dog or while you're cooking up some eggs for breakfast or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, so I feel like we've all got a little luck coming to us today. So uh, this is the show where young salespeople tune in and grow their skill set, learn what it takes to be successful, how to make more money, how to be more fulfilled, find the next role, whatever it might be. Um, and I'm excited to, to, to help deliver that and help learn on the journey with you. Um, Let's do a quick shout out to a sponsor before we get to today's content, which is fire. Um, so shout out to postal.io. Um, postal is in a world where everyone's spamming and you know trying to send things at scale. Postal takes the opposite approach, right? They want you to be super customized and really personalized to who you're sending a gift to. If it's a, a partner, a prospect, a customer, and I love what they're doing. Um, I use them and they can send you something from, you know, the, the florist on the local street corner, the brewery across town, that's really going to make an impact. Uh, when you're trying to build a relationship with, which as a salesperson, it is objectively harder to build relationships and build trust uh, through zoom, through phone calls versus in person. So uh, a tool um, platform like postal really helps you to kind of make that connection, break through the fourth wall and, uh, I definitely encourage you to check them out over at postal.io and stay tuned. We're going to do some fun giveaways in the back half of the year with them. We did some Starbucks gift cards earlier. Uh, we'll have something queued up for you very soon. So in the meantime, show them some love, show me some love uh, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Tommy Tahoe. I'm posting stuff every day. Uh, subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, you know, the deal. Um, just to make sure you don't miss out on new episodes. It helps to support me out. It's a win-win. Um, let's get to today's content. Man, I'm so excited about this one. Uh, Jeff Reasley, this guy's a baller, man, uh, coming out of, out of Canada. Uh, he is the founder of the Sales Health Alliance, right? Uh, which helps to empower salespeople and leaders to reach peak levels of sales performance and well-being through mental health. Uh, previously, Jeff had a number of sales positions, including at uh, CrowdBabel, Indeed, Inacuity, and World Trade Group. Um, Jeff has an amazing story uh, and one that a lot of people can relate to at some points, then at other points, it, it, it is, you know, really extreme uh, of, you know, grinding the normal sales grind that I think a lot of us are used to, um, you know, feeling burnt out, feeling anxious, dealing with mental health. He also, uh, he tells a story, but ended up getting cancer. Um, and, and fought that uh, on top of everything else. Um, and really, I think on overcoming that, uh, wanted to do something for the sales community that really focuses on mental health uh, to, you know, really kind of just add more impact. I think at, at times we can all probably relate to our jobs feeling like you have to do them or you're not making an impact or you're just doing something for the money or whatever it is. And I really admire uh, the, the outward focus, the selfless approach that he now takes. Um, not that he wasn't doing that before, but he's super selfless now and really trying to help foster mental health in sales, which we'll get more into. We, I've talked about it before, but uh, Jeff adds a whole new dimension to it. So we talk about his personal battles. We talk about tips for ambitious people working on mental health how to improve it if you're a leader on a sales team and so much more. So uh, without further ado, let's get it straight out to Canada with my man, Jeff Reasley. Let's go. All right, coming straight out of Toronto, Canada, Jeff Reasley, welcome to Millennial Sales. How are you? I'm good. What's up, Tom? Happy to be here. Yeah, it's a little rainy, a little cloudy here, but we are finally getting some warm weather. So I'm, I'm pumped to be here. Yeah, yeah. Excited to uh, excited to be chatting with you um, on a very important topic of mental health and sales. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely uh, exciting to see more and more conversations starting to take place around mental health and sales. I know I think we're recording this, what, it's June 3rd. So we're three days after Mental Health Awareness Month in May. And I don't know about you, but it was wild and really exciting to see how many 
conversations and how many posts I saw on LinkedIn and events taking place around mental health specifically within sales. It was really exciting. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, I opened up, uh, towards the end of the month on, on Monday, uh, on the last day or last week. And then on Monday with a blog post and then with a, a solo podcast, just talking about my own journey with anxiety and, and with burnout. And, um, you know, one, it feels, it always feels good to share. And it's so interesting how many people reach out in your DMS or in your texts or in your emails saying, Hey, saw your posts, you know, listen to your podcast. I feel the exact same way. Like yeah. this hits the nail on the head. Uh, you know, if you need to talk, I'm around like, by the way, I'd love to talk sometime. And so um, it's something that doesn't get talked about unless, you know, someone brings it up. Um, and so I think it's just helpful to, to share, you know, your story out there. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Like it was, it's been really, a really interesting sort of two and a half years since starting Sales Health Alliance, because I know when I first started posting, it started as who is this crazy guy talking about mental health and sales? Like this is not a topic that's ever been discussed. And it's been encouraging to see how many kind of conversations like I said have started to take place, but I've had a similar experience. I try to post kind of four to five times a week about this topic. And almost after every post, I'm receiving messages, like really vulnerable DMs talking about these like wild situations and, and, and stressors that people are encountering that they haven't even spoken to their boss about or probably their friends about and i think the society and everyone in sales right now is just looking for that safe space to you know relate to each other on a much deeper level and kind of embrace the the vulnerable conversation around mental health and become more authentic and genuine with each other yeah yeah totally and i, I want to spend a good chunk of time um talking about your personal story and and how that's kind of led to where we are today but before we do that uh, our mutual friend Tom Short uh, had a great post this morning. I don't know if you saw it um, about Naomi Osaka. And uh, that's kind of the headline right now uh, with the French Open. I'm a big tennis guy myself, so I'm, I'm pretty big into it. And, um, you know, essentially for folks that aren't aware, she's 22 years old, I believe the highest paid female athlete in the world and um, skipped media, you know, press coverage, uh, press conference after one of her matches uh, because it was, you said it was poor for her mental health. They threatened to find her, well, they find her, and then they threatened to potentially kick her out of the tournament, and then she just withdrew uh, from one of the four major tournaments uh, that happen every single year, which is extremely rare. I've never seen anything like that happen before. I'm curious what your take is uh, on that situation. Yeah, I think it's I think it's kind of really highlighting what we're seeing right now, where there's you know really talented people who are in the driver's seat of their careers, same to say a top salesperson within any organization, and really mental health is becoming a mandatory thing that organizations need to start supporting and embracing. Like one of my favorite quotes, I think it was from the Mental Health Commission of Canada that says, um, "If you sprain your ankle." chances are you'll know what to do. If you suffer a panic attack, you can replace panic attack with any other kind of kind of mental health struggle, chances are you won't. And it's really speaking to this kind of idea around, we all have a really good understanding of what physical health is and how to treat it, but mental health is still in the very early stages and, and from like a overall society standpoint of how important this is to, to performance. And it's, it's absolutely critical. So I love, I love seeing stuff like that because it is shifting in this direction where, you know, individuals are really starting to embrace this conversation. And for the organizations that are sort of working with outdated norms or trying to, you know, remove this conversation or, or, or block, lock people into a certain way of working, it's not going to be sustainable long-term. Like we have to start creating space for this conversation to take place. Yeah. And I, I saw, Wimbledon tweeted out because Wimbledon's right around the corner and they tweeted out like, Hey, we're with you, Naomi. Like we have full support for you. <laughs> and so uh, maybe like a competitive thing there, but I, I think um, it's interesting. Cause I was talking to my fiance about uh, we were just watching some basketball and, you know, talking about the press, they interview the coaches like mid game and she's like, why do they do that? And it's like, Oh, that's in their contract. They have to do that. And they have to talk every game. And it just seems like an outdated model uh, of like, 
you you play all these games, 82 games if you're a you know professional basketball player, for example, and then every single day you have to be available for the press before the game in the locker room. Uh, some people have to do it in the middle of the game if you're a coach, and then after the game, maybe on the court, maybe a press conference, be around for the newspapers in the locker room. It just... Um, I'm not in that world, obviously, but it just seems so crazy and so outdated that, you know, the, the leagues or the tournaments have so much power over how they have to spend their time and how much they have to give and give and give without, you know, uh, being able to really make their own decisions on that. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. Like it's a situation, like I think flexibility should be obviously built in and just kind of having this conversation in mental health and sports, like, I get why they do it because it's like the experience that they're trying to create for the fans, like getting those in-game interviews with coaches and stuff. Like that's a really kind of vulnerable moment that improves that fan experience. And I can kind of relate it to, to sales in sort of a different sense that, you know, if we are right now, I think a lot of the focus is on serving shareholders or serving, um, are kind of like company growth and all of that uh, and that piece. And that's driving a lot of the t- decisions that are being made around setting targets and metrics and all that good stuff. But what we're forgetting is like the experience. I think the most important thing we need to figure out is the experience that we want to create for our buyers and our customers that we're interacting with on every email, every call, every demo, every, every proposal. And if we truly want to start giving them and creating the best experience for our customers and our buyers on a daily basis. Like we need to make sure that our salespeople are showing up their best selves and mental health is a key component of that. So that's where I'm kind of trying to shift the conversation away from look like away from serving the shareholders to really focus on creating that best buyer experience through better mental health, which is then going to yield better outcomes in the future. If your team is showing up their best self every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about why you're so passionate about this topic. If you don't mind sharing a little bit of your story, your background uh, in sales, and then kind of what led the, this to be the primary focus for you in the last, you know, two or three years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I started in sales, uh, I think it's coming up on 11 years ago now. It's, it seems like a long time ago, uh, but it was sort of the classic boiler room type of sales environment. I was being measured on whether or not I could make $200 a day, achieve two and a half hours of talk time. If you weren't hitting your metrics, you were let go pretty quickly. And on the surface, I did really well from an individual contributor level. I went on to win all sorts of cool incentives and was a top performer and all that great stuff. But behind the scenes, I just was not okay. I had really bad anxiety, insomnia in the middle of the night. I had a panic attacks as well. And it was after the third panic attack that put me in the hospital when I was like, well, it's probably time I should do something about this. And what I did was I went to see my doctor. He prescribed me some anxiety medication, which I tried for, which I tried for two to three months. Really hated how it made me feel. I felt like I lost touch with my intuition and my emotions, the things I was relying on to be a top performer and connect with buyers. And going to therapy 10 years ago was still highly stigmatized. So I stopped taking the medication. I was like, look, like, what's a better way to do this? Because I found this career that I love, the learning, the growth, the opportunity that sales provides. But if I wanted to stay in this career, I'd need to figure out a way to make myself more resilient. So I just started learning everything that I possibly could. How does the brain work under stress? What is mental health? When you encounter an anxiety, a panic attack or anxiety, what can you do to navigate these situations? What are the daily habits, routines, and strategies you can use to manage your stress levels on an ongoing basis? And didn't really share this with anyone for the next sort of seven, eight years as I worked my way through various sales positions and leadership positions. And then fast forward to July of 2018, I just launched my first sales consulting website. And three days after I launched the company and the website, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. So it was like this huge curveball that laid through me. But what was really interesting about this experience was the same strategies I was using to take care of my mental health and sales. I naturally started to execute on during this next stressful period of my life. And this is where this whole idea around mental health and sales really started to take shape. And it was like, look, anxiety in sales is not optional. It's part of everyday life. And when sales teams start to become anxious, depressed, and burnt out, their sales performance is going to suffer. So how do we start shifting this conversation to really start treating salespeople like corporate athletes and start equipping them with the pads and the helmets they need to play a contact sport every single day and help them navigate stressful situations in a mentally healthy way? So it's been a wild journey, but that's uh, sort of a, a... three minute snippet of how where I was and how I've gotten to this point. Yeah, I'd love to 
ask you questions about different like pieces of um, the solution. I think part of the conversation that I think is really helpful is normalizing it, right? Um, like until it was normalized for me, I didn't feel comfortable talking about it and sharing it and feeling more in my own skin. And then I'd love to also like then now, now talk a little bit about like some solutions that folks can take in, in different areas. Um, if that's cool with you. Um, yeah, 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 for sure. So, so the first area that, you know, for me, that I think is, is really necessary uh, that I could speak to from personal experience. And you mentioned is like the daily habits, right? There's the big things that we can talk about, um, you know, like therapy, we could talk about the medication, we could talk about what companies can do, but like you as an individual, like the daily basis, things like, you know, sleeping enough, exercising, um, you know, limiting the amount of, you know, alcohol or, you know, drugs or whatever it is that you're taking, um, you know, taking a walk, things like that. I'd love to just hear suggestions that you have in terms of like, what should folks think about doing on a daily basis um, that can maybe just help with more prevention than, you know, trying to wait till they have an anxiety attack and then go in to fix it? Yeah, so I think there's there's a couple things. I think like the, kind of the main, if there's one thing you take away from this podcast, I think the most important thing that you should take away, and this was shared, I learned this from Rich Roll. He's got an awesome podcast. Mm. And he talks about how your mood follows your behavior. So it's an absolutely critical rule that I've embraced for, for a while now, where if you're in a bad mood, you're not going to be able to think your way out of it. The only way to get yourself into a better mood is by taking various action to get yourself out of that situation. And now when it comes to the action that you take, uh, there's a really cool neuroscientist, Dr. Andrew Huberman. He's got a podcast called the Huberman lab. He's sharing all sorts of amazing things around how do you optimize your performance on a daily basis. And I think when it comes to kind of motivation, because that's a big piece within sales and just mental health in general, he talks about how when you're unmotivated, you're going to be unmotivated because you fall into essentially two different buckets. Essentially, there's going to be a bucket where you're hyper aroused. So when you're hyper aroused, your anxiety is kind of spiking, you feel overwhelmed, and you're not feeling motivated, because you have all of these different things, your body's in that fight or flight and that stress response. that's so hyper that you can't really do anything or perform effectively. So if you're in that bucket, you want to start exploring things like meditation, journaling, going for a walk, like something going for a grounded walk, or doing things, self-care strategies that will help shift you out of that kind of fight or flight mode. The other bucket that you might be in is you might be in this situation where you're hypo aroused. So this is where you're not feeling motivated because let's say you had a big lunch and you're coming back from lunch and you, you're feeling sluggish because your body is focused on resting and digesting or you took a long weekend and you're having trouble getting started on, on, on the Monday or Tuesday or you took a vacation, you're coming back and you're in that kind of hypo aroused, you're not feeling motivated because you're so sluggish. That situation, the actions you want to focus on are things like how do you release some adrenaline into your body to start getting yourself moving again. So things like Wim Hof breathing in that situation, something that I do every single day, it's been an absolutely critical way to help me get my body going every morning when I first wake up by releasing some adrenaline. Cold showers is another really good example or setting yourself a deadline to get moving. So it's really kind of, I know there's like a lot of information I'm throwing at people here, but that's kind of like the first, the first two things. It's one, mood follows behavior. And two, base, what mood are you in? Are you in this hyper aroused state where you're overly anxious and you're, 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 you're spiraling? Or are you in this super sluggish state where you're not motivated because you're hypo aroused? And each side will require different strategies. So don't know if we can get into all of it today, but uh, at least that's kind of like a high level overview of how people can start thinking about sort of the actions that they can take in a different way. Yeah, I, I definitely fall more into the first camp of just getting like so hyped up and so like just so just like there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of energy kind of mixed in it throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to like wind down at night, right? Because yeah. I, I understand how important sleep is. Yeah. Uh, for kind of recharging and resting. And there's so much, you know, so many good things mentally and physically that happen with that. But it's sometimes just hard to like tone myself down at the end mm -hmm. of the day. Um, and I feel like so that's something that I hear all the time from people, especially in a, a work from home 
environment is like, it's hard to, it's hard to not go straight to the laptop when you wake up in the morning Mm -hmm. and it's hard to turn the laptop off at night because you're not working from home. You're living at work. Um, and that's something that I feel. And I, I hear that all the time. Um, is that, do you feel like that's pretty common? Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the best things you can be doing right now is, is, is bookending your day. So you want to bookend your day with a, with a self-care startup routine and a self-care shutdown routine, because when you have these kind of recovery periods built into your day, it helps you transition between work mode and relax mode more effective, more effectively. Cause right now what we're missing is we're missing that commute to work. That's providing a lot of kind of subconscious cues. That's helping our body say, okay, it's time to prepare for work mode. When we leave work and we're experiencing shutdown routines of taking the subway, closing down our computer, walking into the office, we're missing all these cues. That's helping our body to say, okay, it's time to relax if we're all working from home. So really bookending your day is a really effective way to do that. So um, something that I talk about is, uh, and something that's been shared in a few articles is how do you develop a morning commute where you're essentially going for just a 15, 20 minute walk every morning. And then you're coming, you want the, the key to making it work is you want to set up your home environment before you, or your work environment before you leave. So you want to have your cup of coffee ready. You want to have your workspace, your computer up. So when you come into your home after that morning commute, you're going straight to your desk as if you're going to your office. And when you are coming, you're complete your after work commute, you're shutting down your computer. You're changing to something more comfortable. You're putting a recipe out on the, on the, on the, on the counter. So you're building in these cues. So when you come in, you're saying, okay, it's time to start relaxing. And it's a really powerful way to help you transition between work mode and relax mode more effectively. But ultimately I think a lot of this has to do as well with, um, just in general, we all have to do a better job building awareness around what declining mental health feels like in ourselves. Like, I think there's a lot of, there's still a lot of stigma around defining mental health as only someone who's really depressed or really anxious or suicidal or has bipolar. And that's actually like mental illness and mental health is a spectrum of well-being that we all fluctuate along on a daily basis. So all of us need to do a better job becoming aware of minor fluctuations up and down that spectrum so that we can stay in that sweet spot where we're focused and energized, but we're not too overwhelmed or we're too sluggish. We want to kind of be in that zone where we're focused and performing our best. Yet, And I, I hate to put you on the spot here, but that is what I'm going to do. Uh, so, you know, I think with mental health, I think the, the stigma, part of the stigma for people that are just getting introduced is that it's kind of soft. It's kind of, uh, it's an, it's an emotional, it's a feeling. It's like, Maybe that's weakness, but there's a lot of like hard scientific data around this. And I had Brian Smith from uh, Leon uh, on this podcast a couple months ago, and and we talked about some of the science of it, which I think really just helps to validate like the way that a lot of us have been feeling. And I know you did some sort of survey, a pretty substantial survey, I think with uh, Scott Lees and Richard Harris, maybe a few other people. Um, I'd love if you could share... Um, if you have any of the specific numbers or if you just have any of the general concepts of uh, some of the data that you took, because I think it's helpful for people to hear like, okay, this isn't just like, you know, one in 10,000 people like feel like this and I'm a loser because I do. It's actually like a very significant portion of people, uh, particularly in sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so when I did a survey around kind of just to kind of get a scope of this back in December of 2019, the research that I found, I had about almost 300 salespeople respond to that survey and found that more than uh, two in five salespeople struggle with their mental health. So that's 43% of the of a sales team potentially could be struggling with their mental health and are making more of those mental mistakes um, on, on an ongoing basis. And then the most recent survey, which started, I think it was back in April, I partnered with uh, a really amazing mental health organization called Uncrushed. So anyone listening, they got tons of really good resources there. And then Richard Harris also helped with the help was also a partner on this to create the content and create the survey. So we're going through that data. We're going to have something published in the next few, um, in the next week or so. But now what the data is showing is that number of 43% is now jumped to 58%. So almost three in five salespeople are struggling with their mental health. But if you look at account managers, account executives and frontline sales managers, 
all three of those kind of job types and those roles are north of 60% with BDRs hovering, I think around kind of 57%. So it's really starting to skew higher for certain roles, different roles will struggle more than others. It's, I think that's kind of being, what's cap, being captured in this data is it's really showing the impact that this like COVID has had on our on, on mental health just in general. And this like intensity of change that we have gone through has not been met by the same intensity of support. Um, other kind of data that we're the, the data is showing, I don't have exact numbers on this, but there's a really, really strong correlation. We can't say causation in this case, but a really, really strong correlation that shows when and when a salesperson rates their mental health higher, they their their sales performance they rate their their sales performance is higher as well. So there's a really strong connection between better mental health leading to better sales performance and vice versa, better sales performance leading to better mental health. So there's a really strong co correlation in both directions. Um, and then uh, other data external, I'm sure Brian kind of shared a lot of stuff, a lot of data around this as well, but there's data from, I think it was Deloitte that's showing how every dollar invested, or sorry, this is the World Health Organization, every dollar's invested into a scaled up treatment for common mental health disorders. So things like anxiety, burnout, depression, there's a $4 return on incre increased health and productivity. So it's like 4xing your performance when you start kind of focusing on this on this stuff. And I think it really comes back to this, this concept of sales leaders and sales organizations need to move away from thinking linear, linearly, where you're tackling each like negotiation, you're tackling objection handling, you're ta tackling all these individual crafts and these skills, and instead start thinking exponentially where all these skills that you're trying to work on, they all root back to having a healthy mind. If you can improve the health of the mind by 1%, you're going to have a direct impact on all of these other trainings that you're working on, make them more confident, more enthusiastic, learn better, retain better, um, be more present when they're on their calls, negotiate better. So everything is rooting back to the health of the mind. So if you actually want to make exponential improvements to your sales performance and your team, you have to start with improving their mental health, given that sales is primarily a mental game. Yeah, a a absolutely. Um, uh, I'd like to talk with you for a moment about therapy. And um, I was talking with uh, a friend about this actually yesterday. Uh, and he reached out, and we, were, we were talking about something else. And, um, you know, uh, kind of, at, you know, I put it out there uh, on LinkedIn and everything that I've been going to see a therapist in the last year. So it's been about a year and has been so extremely helpful for me both personally and professionally. Um, but I feel like the, the challenge is that people might see the light there and might see that that might be a helpful thing, but don't really know where to start. Mm -hmm. um, like, don't really know, like, should I do this? Where do I find the right person? Um, should I start with, you know, like a medication? Should I start just taking care of myself? Should I see someone like, it, it all seems kind of, you know, there's like a lot of ambiguity around that. I'm curious what your take is on, okay, someone's listening to this. I feel, I, I feel what you're saying, Jeff, like this is resonating with me. I felt like this for the last year. Like what, okay, now where do I go? Like, what do I actually do to take the steps to, you know, find my solution? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great point. And I think everyone's kind of path is going to be a little different, but when it comes to kind of thinking about therapy and thinking about going that route, like, again, it's going back to this physical and, and mental health. Like we all, there's people that go to physical, tra go to tr trainers that help them work on their body and their physical health on an ongoing basis. And the way I always perceive therapy is it's like going to a trainer to help you with your mental health. Some, it's essentially getting a good workout in for your brain to start exploring some of these insecurities or past experiences that are still impacting you on a daily basis. And finding a therapist can be hard. And the other thing that can be challenging is it's also... Um, really expensive to kind of dive dive right in. So there's kind of that upfront cost. Uh, there's a really cool organization based here in Toronto called Inkblot Therapy. And they're essentially offering video therapy at a very affordable cost. Your first session is free. So you go in and you kind of fill out kind of, you know, the type of therapist, what you might be kind of um, essentially a matching engine. They fill out a couple of questions and they'll help match you with a, a therapist to help you go through it. But again, think about that therapist, like someone that's going to be like a trainer for your mind. 
So that's a really good way to start. Like there's no upfront costs. It's very affordable going forward. So if you do want to explore the therapy route, I'd, I'd recommend checking out inkblot therapy. Um, but then there's other kind of areas as well. Like, honestly, for me, like I haven't been a big therapy person. I did like a few sessions in the past, but mine was all focused on like just dedicating time to personal development work, like doing a lot of reading around things like neuroscience, around habits, learning specific things and strategies to help optimize my performance, and my health in an ongoing basis. Um, so that's why I created Sales Health Alliance to be a resource first, business second. There's roughly a hundred pieces of content on there that you can start exploring, launching an online course with all this stuff. But again, if anyone needs kind of book recommendations of things that I've read, I'm just looking at my my shelf as we speak. There's one. Let's called- let's let's hear them. Yeah, I want to hear the books. Uh, so there's like obviously Happiness Advantage is a big one by Sean Aker. Uh, there's one called The Upward Spiral, which is another good one. I think that's by Daniel Korb. I think. Um, Transcend is an amazing book by Scott Barry Kaufman. It's really diving into the kind of some of the the background around kind of the Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs and rejigging and changing that as to kind of what's what's important to a meaningful life and what do we need to really be grounded and present in the things that we're doing on a daily basis. So that was an amazing book. And I think another, another kind of suggestion I'd have is barking up the wrong, wrong tree by, I think his name is Eric Barker. And that's a really cool book because if anyone listening to this podcast, is looking for data around why this stuff is so important. He, each chapter is really broken down, but into providing a lot of research as to why we're getting so many things wrong behind things like quitting behind resilience behind behind things like meaningful work so there's lots of really cool studies and quotes that he or studies and research that he quotes in the book that help kind of challenge these culture norms that will help kind of shift you away from thinking as mental health is soft and more looking at it from a from this different perspective of it's actually the key to helping us achieve all of our performance and our career goals that we're after anyways I love that. Uh, thank you for sharing all those resources. I've not read any of those. Uh, so I'm, I've got a full, I've got a full reading list now for the summer. Um, uh, I'm curious, does the topic of guilt come up a lot with you in mental health? Uh, in, in what sense? In the sense of speaking personally as someone that is, you know, ambitious, a go-getter, uh, you know, typically does work a lot. Um, the feeling of guilt for taking time, uh, you know, of not working at a certain hour in the evening, say, or waiting until a certain point in the morning to check email or Slack or whatever it might be, um, or spending the money to go to get a massage or to go to do the thing that you find particularly relaxing or, or whatever it might be. Um, but do, do folks, you know, other like high-performing salespeople, is that a topic that comes up a lot? Because that, that, that comes up in my mind for sure. So I can see like for sure, probably early on it came up, but now I, over the last few years, as I've just like really dove into this topic, I understand the importance and how important rest and recovery is to being able to perform your best. So when I started this company, I had to really kind of envision myself like, look, like if I want to build sales health alliance, like I need to do, live and breathe this kind of organization and this mindset. So I'm, there's not a day that I work past 5 p.m. I'm normally shutting things down around, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock every day because I know how critical that recovery period is at the end of the day. I'm not getting up at 5 a.m. and then adopting this hustle mentality or whatever because I know how important sleep is. And, and, and my daily startup routine to making sure that I'm performing my best. And a lot of the data, I think it was like from Shopify, like we only really have between all of us, every single day, we only really have enough conscious energy to put in between three to five hours of really good, solid, creative focused work. And Shopify's mindset is look like, I don't care what you do, but if you can give us three to five of those hours every single day, like that's what we want. And this idea that we're meant to hunt, hunt, hunt nonstop or work past, work these insane hours, it's just the, the, the decline in performance and creativity and memory and learning all of these things we need to perform our best, 
just drastically falls off. And I think you're a, you're a whoop guy too. Like I think whoop has also helped because, yep. because whoop has really kind of helped me kind of get a good, a good gauge on a daily basis of what my mental and my physical strain levels are at so that I can make adjustments because I don't know about you, but like when I'm at a, when I wake up and I, I, I try to push myself even from my, like a mental standpoint on days when I'm like 25, 30%, I feel myself fatigue way, way quicker than on days when I'm 90% recover or I'm less creative. I'm less able to kind of have these quick ideas on the fly. So I've noticed that purely based off of the data. And I think that awareness piece has been a huge part. Um, but have you, have you felt the same way with, uh, with Whoop? Yeah. I mean, Whoop has been a game changer for me. I got it. Uh, I bought myself that as a Christmas present uh, this past year. And yeah, to your point, like, you know, I, I work out most days, but not to the point where, you know, I'm getting like, I'm pushing it so hard that the, the recovery is really for that. I, I do think it's more on the mental side. Um, but I find it interesting because when I think about, Hey, I want to get seven, eight hours of sleep every night. I used to register that as like the second that I, I, you know, that I hit the bed versus the second that the alarm went off, but there's so much time that it takes to fall asleep. And then you're kind of in and out of certain types of rest. And so I know that if I really need eight, eight hours of sleep, I got to actually get into bed like with a full nine hours because it might take me 30 minutes to doze off. And then I might get up in the middle of the night. It might take me a little bit to fall back. And so like, it actually kind of uh, opened the idea that my, in theory, I'm thinking about it the right way, but I'm not actually giving it enough time. Um, so I think whoop, I don't even know if they have a, a competitor. I mean, Whoop is is actually like just crushing it uh, in the market in terms of like the value that they're creating for people around stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, I I think they're they're doing amazing. I think their branding's on point, and I was the exact same uh, exact same as you, where it's like I wasn't accounting for that for that extra hour of being a, like. To, uh, that extra hour that my body needed to fall asleep. And as a result, you're just showing up more and more sleep deprived every day. If you aren't really focused, especially if you're trying to target a seven hour window, if you're getting into bed at, with seven hours of sleep time and it's taking you an hour to fall asleep, you're waking up and only getting six hours of sleep every single day. And that sleep debt is building up constantly and constantly and eroding your ability to perform at a high level. So same thing that's been a huge game changer on sleep for me. Uh, another book, if you're interested, Why We Sleep by Matt, Matthew mm. Walker. Amazing, amazing book that really just dives into all of like, not only the the risks of not sleeping appropriately, but also a lot of the research around the benefits and all the things that you can obtain when you do get those seven to eight hours of sleep every single night. Yeah, I just actually listened to him uh, on the Rich Roll podcast uh, earlier this week. Uh, he, he was on a few weeks ago. And so his, his books near the top of my list to get, um, I've heard great things about it. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, it's again, one of the best books. And if you, if you do read it, you're probably first few pages, you're like, Oh no, like what have I been doing with my sleep for all this time? <laughs> um, but by the end you're like, okay, this is not a non-negotiable, like getting my sleep every night is 100% like something I need to prioritize going forward. So you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago a little bit about like your your wind up and your wind down routine. So outside of like the fake commute um, that that people can do, I'm curious if, if you wouldn't mind sharing a few things that you do for yourself in the morning to kind of like warm up for the day. And then like, you know, once three thirty, four, five hits when the workday is over, how you kind of slow it down. Um, I'd love to hear from you on that. Yeah. So big one, like I said, the Wim Hof breathing method has kind of been a huge one because that helps release some adrenaline to get you moving. I also take cold showers every day. Uh, I'm not one of those crazy person, people that jump straight into the cold showers. Um, I've washed and bathed in the, in the warm shower. I love warm showers. And what I do is I cool it down or ice it down for the last sort of 90 seconds to two minutes, because all of the research that I've found around cold showers, it says the real mental benefits come uh, during that kind of one to two minute period and past that it's more reducing inflammation in the body. So any of the mental benefits, it's sort of that, sort of that one to two minute mark that you want to kind of target. Um, and then I also, part of my start, it's going for that walk, but also reading personal development, reading every single day, at least 10 pages a day, 
start filling in my brain with those new ideas to help jumpstart myself and start actioning different creative ideas throughout the day. So that's typical, my typical startup. My wind down is getting in some form of a workout, whether it's a spin, some light weightlifting. Um, on days when kind of my recovery isn't as very high, it's just going for a longer, low intensity walk. Um, make a gratitude journal, working on some gratitude at the end of the day is huge because it forces me to go back and reflect on positive events that have taken place that may have been overshadowed by a stressful event that took place later in the day. So gratitude was, is a huge one. But the, probably one of the most important ones that I think we all know that we should be doing is making a to-do list for the next day. So all of the research is showing um, there was this massive study done by Robert Epstein he surveyed over 30,000 people, I think it was 30 different countries, and he found like found the number one thing that people were doing to manage their stress or lower their stress levels was making a plan. And a to-do list is just essentially a, a really good plan. So having a plan that you kind of offload your thoughts onto, you're thinking about potential obstacles you're facing the next day, planning in your recovery periods, doing all those things will help make yourself less anxious and give you a logical plan to follow the next morning to help you get started. So to-do list is also a huge one, simple, but an absolute mandatory thing. If you get Sunday scaries, for example, having a plan on Friday, making your plan Friday afternoon for your Monday is going to help shut down that Sunday scary response because then all of a sudden you say, feeling that anxious feeling, oh, I got this plan. I know what I'm doing on Monday, so I'm all good. If you're going on vacation, that anxiety you get when you're going away for, when you're coming back from vacation make your plan out your first 24 to 48 hours before you leave on vacation. So you can actually enjoy your vacation. So when you come back, you know that you're coming back to a logical plan that you can follow. Yeah. And I think that also plays to, okay, if instead of working, you know, 12 hours, if, if your, if your goal is to work, let's say eight hours, right. And you can have a, a clear cutoff time. Well, that's a lot easier if you have a plan of what's going to happen that day, because so if you don't have a plan, you might start the day and the first few hours you might spend on nonsense. And then it takes you six hours to you know uh, figure out what the priority is for the day and then do that thing. And so um, I feel like, uh, you know, Parkinson's laws is very true. You know, your, your time either expands or contracts to, you know, uh, you know, whatever the, the level of work and the level of time you give it. So if you want to get something done in an hour, you can do it in an hour. If you give yourself four hours, you're just going to let yourself take four hours to do it. So I, I do feel like the plan also helps to focus and get more out of the time. Like get do more with, with less time, um, which I helps think, you then relax. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Um, I, 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 the, I, the way you phrase that was perfect because you're right. The more, depending on the time you allot, like you're going to fill that time, even though it, it's a task that you could probably be do be doing a lot quicker. Uh, I guess the one last piece I'd add is, or last helpful tip. It's, decide what time you're going to stop working before you start working. So every morning I check my wake up, I check my whoop recovery score and I see how, you know, how my body's doing that day. So I know how much additional time I need to recover or can I work longer today? So in the morning I'm deciding, okay, my shutdown routine is at 4 PM today, or maybe I can push it to five, or maybe I need to end it a little earlier around three to make sure that I'm kind of resting and recovering my body. So deciding what time to stop, you're going to stop working before you start working will help you when you're shifting into that more reactive state where you feel like you're in this flow of responding to emails, responding to emails or there's things and you feel like you just can't step away. It's like, no, like decide when you're in that kind of fresher, cleaner, more logical state. So let's, um, wrap this as we're taught uh, to talk about uh, leadership and the, as the last kind of main bucket to cover for the folks out there um, that are watching this or, or listening to this, that maybe are our frontline managers, sales managers, right? Uh, first, you know, I was a sales manager at, at my last company for the first time. And the, by far the hardest part was dealing and handling all of the different personal emotional, uh, you know, differences between everyone on the team, right? You have to motivate them differently. You have to be aware of their mental health. You have to know what their goals are, how they operate, how they like to work, things like that. So uh, for anyone that is managing a team and maybe feels a little overwhelmed by all of that, like what should they keep in mind as it relates to mental health for their team? 
Uh, big, big question. There's a couple of ways to answer this. I think kind of one of the biggest things I would say is uh, there's a vulnerability vulnerability paradox that exists within sales between leader and individual contributor. So what I mean by that is as leaders, we want people to be vulnerable and open with us so that we can help and support them as best as we possibly can. But if you think about it, how likely are you going to be vulnerable with someone who's judging and managing your performance on a daily basis? And the answer is probably not at all <laughs> because <laughs> a person is in the position of power and judging my performance. So one of the ways leaders can really help address this and reduce this paradox is they need to be sharing openly and being vulnerable on an ongoing basis on days when they haven't slept well, on days when they're struggling with their mental health, share it with the team. You don't need to be this position where you have to have all the answers. Like you want to empower your team to ensure that the support is going both up and down both ways. Um, I think as well, I think for sales leaders, it's really, really important to reinforce the vision uh, companies have a really strong vision and a purpose that backs up that vision so people know where they're going on a daily basis and what they're achieving like when i was working at indeed they had a really good mission of and they had it branded all over their shirts we help people get jobs and that's a real powerful purpose and vision but i didn't have a single manager i didn't have a single kind of conversation with leadership that was reinforcing that belief of you know, every call that you're making, every single task that I'm doing on a daily basis is leading to someone potentially finding a better job. Like that's intrinsically motivating and something that I want to connect with. And instead it was, here's this fun incentive. Here's this game. Here's this bonus or this whatever. These extrinsic rewards are, you, they're, they're not effective at, at creating long-term motivation that's sustainable, especially in a work from home environment. So as leaders, part of your role is really living and breathing that strong vision and that personal why and sharing that consistently reminding reps of their purpose every single day and how they're actually mattering to the growth of the company going forward so. it, yeah and the the intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation is huge I, I had a conversation with a customer today that he's been in sales a long time and he said yeah you know, like no matter what the, the only reason uh, and he said this kind of half jokingly, but the only reason people get into sales is for the money. You know, you don't get into it because it's the cool thing to do or because you think you're going to love it. Or, and I think that's, that's partially true, but I think in order to be sustainable, you have to find, uh, something else, uh, right. You have to find that thing on a daily basis that grounds you a, a greater mission. And that could be what you're selling. It could be, um, you know, the type of person that you're trying to become. It could be, it could be something financial for your family if that's your personal situation. But I do feel like uh, when we're talking about mental health and we're talking about the sustainability of someone's career, if you want to be the LeBron or the Tom Brady of sales where you're, you're just great year after year after year, you do have to find something internally that's, that's driving you more than just money or you know, the quota attainment that's, that's kind of uh, flaky. You're, you're absolutely right. Like, I think you need to be, it's very hard. Well, it's almost impossible to be emotionally connected to money. Like you can love money and you can, it feels good when you get it, but you have to keep earning more money and more money and more money. And it's just this endless rat race and this hamster wheel that you find yourself running on. But that's why meaningful work and that desire to matter is such a critical part to, mental resilience. When you're emotionally connected to your work, you're going to have that internal drive, that internal well of motivation to push through on those days when you're feeling that discomfort, when you feel like quitting. It's who you're helping. It's that altruistic mentality or that service servant mindset approach of wanting to serve others and create a better world for tomorrow. It's going to help pull you through those dark days because you matter. So leaders really need to help reinvigorate some of that intrinsic motivation and work with people to kind of continuously bring out this personal why and that they matter because at the end of the day you know we want to we want to matter at the end of our lives and say that we were here and we mattered um i guess one last kind of point i don't know why sales teams i don't know if, if what companies are doing this now but the fact that we're racing our quotas or, or or what we've achieved every month or every quarter and saying starting at zero crazy to me you want like a Hall of Fame. You want to know how much revenue you've contributed. You want to keep all of these highlight reels 
visible so people can see from day one to year five, here's all the things that they've contributed to and why they matter to this company as opposed to just blank slate, blank slate, blank slate. It's just a foolish way to, to manage people. Yeah, that is crazy. It is, that's like, you know, the, the thing everyone says about sales, it's like, you know, the first day of the month, it's like, oh shit, you know, I'm back at zero or the first day of the quarter, like, man, after all the work you just put in and you feel good about it for like the end of day at the end of the quarter, or the end of the month. And then the first day of the next month, like, oh shit, I'm back to zero and I'm at the bottom, you know, we're all at the bottom of the leaderboard. It is, it is crazy to think that versus, um, you know, doing it at least, you know, at least on a yearly and just like, okay, let's just tally it for the year. And like, so the great work you did in January, like we're not forgetting about that in June um, because it still is, it still matters. It's not like what, what have you done for me lately in such a harsh regard? Yeah. Like, I think it's, it's all rooted in this, like, so yeah, what have you done for me lately? But this like fear, this idea that we need to keep salespeople operating in fear that they are only as good as their last quarter. It's, makes no sense it's totally backwards please anyone that's still thinking about doing that stop because it's not the right way to motivate someone um and the most motivating thing is when people are able to compete against themselves versus competing against others so if you can give them kind of their best month their best quarters um competing against themselves is how you motivate people yeah that that's so true um jeff i appreciate the time this was great. Um, I think you're doing great work. I want to acknowledge you for that, for helping to normalize mental health, for offering a ton, a ton of content, a ton of resources around it. Um, if folks want to learn more about what you're doing, if they want to connect with you, what are some good places to do that? Yeah, no, thanks for having me on and helping kind of spread this message and continue the mental health conversation. If people want to learn about it, it's probably best to go to saleshealthalliance.com. Um, also LinkedIn is a good place. Jeff Risley is a, just follow me. I post lots of content on a daily basis. And then the last piece is I just launched an online course about four hours of content to help you become more resilient and improve your mindset and your mental health. Um, so that's available from the website as well. So check that out. People check the course out. This guy has done so much research. He's lived it firsthand. He's read the books. He's doing it. Um, that's what I love. Uh, also is like you've done the research. Um, but you also live it. You're not like working 16 hours a day talking about <laughs> mental health. Um, and there's a lot of people in, in a lot of different parts of, of the world. I feel like that, uh, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Um, and so I appreciate that you're a practitioner um, and highly recommend anyone check out the course. Um, and, you know, it's definitely something that you want to invest in your own mental health and invest in yourself. Yeah. Thanks, man. Again, appreciate the conversation. Appreciate the shout out. And yeah, all I can say is like this stuff works, whether it's being a solo entrepreneur to battling testicular cancer to the ups and downs of sales. Like I've lived it for the last sort of 10, 11 years now. And I know this stuff works. So hopefully others will start seeing, uh, embracing this happier, healthier way of selling. So awesome. Appreciate it, Jeff. Cool. Thanks, Tom. What's up everybody. Thanks for checking out that podcast. Uh, Happy July to you. Uh, would love if you took 22 seconds and hit subscribe wherever you're listening or watching this. Uh, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, your favorite podcast player. And be sure to check out some of my content on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm Tom Alemo. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Tommy Tahoe. Have a great day. Make it legendary. Peace.